Hey, I want to invite you guys, if you've been listening to this podcast and enjoying this content and are passionate about protection, you should know that we have an entire library of all of the protector symposiums that we've ever done uh, hosted at protectornation.com. You can go there and you can download those and you can watch every protector symposium we've had today there online and you can learn protection tactics from the most, some of the most elite trainers in the world from the comfort of your own home. I think you'll be surprised about how much content we actually have there. Uh, It's very, very, very reasonably priced and you can upgrade your protection skills. Remember, protection is not all about the hard skills. 90% of it is all about the software, the programming, the way you see and move in the world to achieve a safer pattern of life. With that having been said, go to protectornation.com, join us there, learn from the best of the best. Now, enjoy the show. Boom, hello and welcome to the Protector Nation podcast, a podcast that is dedicated to making the world a better place, making the world a safer place by making good people dangerous. In this podcast, we're going to study and understand what it takes to protect, to protect your family, to protect your loved ones, because we all know that you have a few basic needs, food, water, and shelter, but you also have the need to protect those things. In a world and society where evil runs rampant and is sometimes left unchecked, learning how to protect yourselves and your loved ones is becoming more and more important. And so we strive to raise the level of accountability to those who would do evil on this planet by making sure that the sheep, that the flock, is more well-versed in protecting themselves and their loved ones. If that sounds interesting to you, then sit back and enjoy the show. Out. Vector Symposium 5.0 is coming, and I'm stoked. I've been looking to train and hang and do something cool with Kala for a while, man, so I'm glad we finally are able to catch up, man. This yeah, we've like, been talking about this for years, bro. <laughs> right? You know, and then I saw you at the um I saw you at this last was it was it a shot show? And I was like, yo, what's up? Yeah. Shot show range day, yeah. <laughs> As we were saying, you know, I've been waiting to get caught up with Kawa for a while. Uh we've been kind of bouncing this back and forth for a little bit. Saw him at the shot show range day, and I was like, you know what? I think to, this year's the year. And we've got a lineup for the uh, Protector Symposium 5.0 that is so good, I don't know how I'm going to beat it. <laughs> I don't know how I'm going to beat it. You know, yeah, it's talk- no, it's hot, man. Yeah, it's and you've done, a good, you've done a great job of hyping it up too, man, with the marketing. It's been great. Thank you, man. I appreciate that. I appreciate it. Because it's, you know, you create something that's legit. And it's like, if people don't know how good it is, you just, it just, you, you got the best boat and you die, you know, and no one gets on the boat, you know? Yeah. It, so. and, it's, and it's tough because we're in an industry that is, is heavily shadow banned. And we, you know, we say we're shadow banned, but we don't really know how that affects us other than, you know, mm-hmm. so we put all this effort into content and marketing and production and like it hardly gets any, you know, it uh, doesn't get seen or mm-hmm. so we don't know if it's us or the system or what. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, but that's real, man. Like I, I you know, because I run, I have four platforms: the shadow banning, the the segregation on social media to two alpha platforms is real, y'all. I got multiple platforms, and when mm-hmm. I do post anything about, well, really, never touch the medical industry, you guys. That one's for free for you guys. If I post anything about certain topics, I'll get shadow banned on one of my platform, on one of my pages. 
So I'll drop the same piece of content across all four to test it out. The shadow band platform, I'll catch like, like four likes, <laughs> you know, yeah. and then the other ones will be in the thousands like usual. So, yeah. you know, that's a real thing, man. And it shapes our, it shapes our world. It shapes the narrative. Um, now that's real. So for yeah. us, no, it's really bad. It's really bad when your own followers don't even see you. When I get DMs from people who are like, bro, have you been posting? I haven't seen anything from you from like two weeks. I'm like, bro, I post like, you know, <laughs> like every day. All the time. You know? yeah. <laughs> yeah, man. No, that's what's up. So awesome. So y'all on IG, I gave you some time to hop over onto YouTube and join us. I'm about to kick this off with an intro to this upcoming protector symposium. I'm gonna cue the video. Boom. The symposium 5.0 is coming go, y'all. What is the Protector Symposium? It's a legendary event. This is our fifth iteration. We've had anywhere from 200 to 475 people at these events learning elite protection skills, no matter what your background is, whether you're a law enforcement, whether you're a professional protector, private security, whether you're a civilian, a single mom, an athlete, or a barista at Starbucks. Protection is the one skill that will allow you to keep everything that you know and love in your life. Come join us for a legendary event, a groundbreaking event, a legendary event that's different than anything else you've probably ever been to and learn the skills of protection, the soft skills. On Friday, we will be in the auditorium and you will learn from six amazing instructors. And then Saturday and Sunday, you will be put in a group and you will wagon wheel through all of the instructors, the hard skills around the following competencies. The infamous Craig Sawman Sawyer is going to be in the house and he's going to be laying down some wisdom about what it takes to be a modern protector. Uh, he's got an amazing background, Navy SEAL, SEAL Team 6, sniper. He's got expertise in shooting, surveillance detection, anti-terror task force operations, pretty much you name it. He's been doing it for decades. Some of you guys might recognize him from a few TV shows. Uh, Sniper, Deadliest Missions, uh, he's been on all the seasons of Top Shot, uh, Rhino Wars. He's been in the community and out in the field, really living the life of a warrior. He's been a lifelong warrior of many different disciplines. Next up, we've got Raul Martinez, who's gonna teach you the art of being able to implement, regain oh control goodness. of your firearm yeah. in the clinch. Do you know how to actually pull in. that weapon and implement it in close range? Can you get it back if something happens to it? Unfortunately, all too often, CCW owners pull their weapons or police officers on duty, they pull their weapons and they get attacked and they don't know how to deal with it. Rowan's gonna teach you how to do that. Next up, we've got Ed Calderon, the infamous, who's gonna teach weaponology. One of my favorite courses, because I believe this course is maybe more dangerous than 90% of the courses that I have taken over my professional career. You're gonna learn the ology behind weapons. You're going to be able to make anything into a weapon after you understand and have gone through this class, which will also consequentially help you become better at implementing weapons most effectively. You will never be without a weapon after this course because this is the ultimate weapon. It's an amazing course. Next up, we've got Kawa 2 Alpha 2 Quit, who is a Green Beret who's been teaching elite fighting forces the art of close quarters movement, close quarters battle. How to fight with a gun inside of a building inside of a structure. This is something that we all, this is a space we all exist in all of the time. What if someone goes active in your building? Can you evacuate that? Can you evacuate that structure effectively with your CCW? What if you're the one who has to go find them? 
What if you're a police officer on duty and you need to go into a structure to save lives? Can you navigate that environment? A professional protector like myself in the private security industry and something happens in the building, you're in the building with your client. Can you navigate one of the most sophisticated environments to navigate when the possibility of a gunfight is real? Last but definitely not least, we've got the infamous. Instructor Zero coming to us from over the pond. It's an honor to bring him in. I've been wanting to train with him for a long time. He's going to be teaching us how to fight around vehicles. Where do 80% of force encounters take place? They take place in transitional spaces on your way from your office to your car, on your way from your car to your house at the gas station. Watch my tactical protection reviews and you will see that 80% of those vehicles are outside around vehicles. So do you know how to make your vehicle into an asset when it comes time to fight. That's what we're going into. One full day in the auditorium, two full days out the field, learning the soft skills with okay. some of the best in the world, and then learning the hard skills and putting them in place with some of the best instructors in the world. This is the Protector Symposium 5.0 from Protector Nation. Wow. Coming at you, this is Byron Rogers, protected by nature and by trade. I can't wait to see you out there and train together. Out. Yep. All right. Solid, y'all. Boom. Yeah, that's great. That was good, man. No, thanks. I appreciate it, man. I appreciate it. Such it's a good a intro, man. Such a good, like, it, it gets me hyped up when I see that. Because like, I'm like, I want to take all those courses. <laughs> yeah, man. Yo, that's that's secretly, like, half my whole kind of thing with this is, like, yo, what's the, who's all the dudes I want to train with at the same yeah. time to create, man, to create something out of. That's, like, half my motivation for this thing. So no, that's good to go, man. Well, it's it's an honor to have you in the house, man. And um, thank you. I, good to be here. No, one hundred percent. And and your what you teach, man. Your discipline, I think, is one of the most important disciplines for protectors. I think um, now uh, more now than ever, people are gonna kind of really start realizing the importance of you know CQB and being able to move through a structure with a firearm efficiently and effectively, man. Coming into this Protector Symposium 5.0, just a real quick teaser. We'll get into it later, but what are you going to break out for these guys? So we are doing a basically what we call a lone operator, right? It's it's because uh, it, you got Team CQB where you know you guys stack up and everything, but we thought a lone operator is good just for uh, for that kind of single operator kind of uh, application, whether it be inside your house or whether it be in your workplace. Uh, you know, it could be anywhere, honestly. I mean, if you look at, if you pay attention to the news, I mean, these shootings, these, you know, these events are happening anywhere, you know? So we know that possibly there could be a second person with you. If it's at your house, it could be your wife, you know, it could be a roommate. And we do have a two man, a two man course that we are now teaching to make up for that gap, uh, in the industry. But this lone man operator is great because it's really the foundation. It's really the foundation of what CQB is. Uh, in it, you know, when you start adding people behind you in a stack, that just enhances your capabilities as a team. But understanding a loan, like going through a loan operator course really gives you the foundational kind of mindset to what needs to happen inside of a structure, you know, whether that mm -hmm. is a multi-room structure, whether it's a multi-story structure. And we do go through some scenarios as to, uh, you know, whether you are pulling people out of there or you have EP world if you have... Yep you know, that, uh, that client that you got to get out of there. So we do, we do some scenarios at the end and then 
we use uh, Airsoft because one, it's cost efficient to not just us, but you guys as well. Yep. UTM sims are great. And on a professional yep. level, they are awesome. But professionals also have budgets that don't come mm -hmm. out of our pocket. You know, so for a student, I mean, you could get a bunch of BBs and an airsoft gun and we can still get to work and make it very effective training. Uh, and then yep. we get to do some force on force because of that. Right. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so that is what I'll be teaching at this. Uh, <laughs> Protect your symposium. I am so hyped. I am so yeah, hyped. Well, that's, that's that's what you guys will get if you come to this, if you sign up for this course, which I think a lot of you already have. And we're yep. all stoked for. Uh, yeah, I hope to see you guys there. Dude, it's 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 been impressive to see the response we've gotten from the industry already. Um, tickets are selling like crazy. Uh, the a few things on what you said, man. The airsoft, man. Airsoft as a training modality, greatly underrated. I got invited mm. to a little airsoft yeah. uh, birthday party. One of my friends, who's a GM shooter, he's a bad man, and and I was like, yo, what are we doing? He's like, oh, we're gonna go shoot some airsoft. I'm like, airsoft, like you know. Yeah, I mean we're we're, we're gunfighters, bro. Yeah, you know, yeah. We gotta do some airsoft, bro. I would, I mean, you know, we're live, but like, I was sore for like a week, yeah, <laughs> running around yeah. and actually gunfighting, not just yeah. kicking it at the range and killing paper and steel, like, you know. Um, no, it's effective. I mean, difference. look, it it you know you it's still very accurate, right? Mm -hmm. So especially in a CQB, if we talk about CQB distances, airsoft yep. is still accurate up to like 25, 30 feet, you know. Mm -hmm. And and when it talks when we talk about feedback, right? Mm -hmm. You, I mean, when you shoot somebody with an airsoft pellet, and you see the way the body kind of like cringes and collapses, <laughs> yeah, you like you don't want to get shot. Yeah, you don't want to get shot. Yeah, I've I've broken skin. I've got my skin broke. I got shot in the nose. I got welts yeah. on my chest, and all those are just learning lessons, right? Because like yeah, paintball man. is great, UTM is great, Sims mm -hmm. are great. They all do yeah. the same thing. The only difference is. Besides the price of, of, of the cost is right. really just a little bit less or more pain. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. No, yeah, 100%, yeah. Man. And we've got um we've got some awesome structures to mimic homes and things like that at the facility. So, you know, one of the reasons and primary reasons, and then we'll kind of get into like your background and all that stuff that I picked this topic, man, is because the reality of the game, like what we see just the other day, mall shooting, one man, one man. That's it. You know what I mean? But that's really what it's going to be. It's going to be it, there's a high probability that you with your CCW or you who gets a call and you're by yourself or you who's alone with a principal because they didn't want to spend the money on two two agents are going to be the dude or the dudette who's got to get it done. And understanding, yeah. you know, CQB isn't one of those things you just, you know, you just know how to do. You know what I'm saying? Like there's levels to this. There's an art to this. And you need to practice it or you're going to it's like a ballet, man, or you're going to be clumsy. And when you're clumsy in a place with a lot of angles and close distances, it can get really expensive really quick. You know? Yeah. Yeah. And CQB is I, I describe it as it's, it is a game of angles. It is yeah. it, as long as you understand the angles, it basically comes down to whoever owns that angle first is going to mm -hmm. win the fight. Right. Then obviously accuracy and all that comes into play. But if you're locking down an angle in CQB, you're more than likely going to win that angle, right? But the angles always change because we don't stand still. And that is right. what we describe as like the labyrinth, you know, as, as like water flows through a, rap, a labyrinth. Yeah. It just naturally, you know, kind of floods into rooms. And mm -hmm. and that's it. After that, it's learning how to move inside of a structure. Mm -hmm. Dude, and I'm already getting excited just listening to him break it down. Yeah, yeah I know y'all heard. I was like, see, this is, this is what it's all about, man. I love it. 
So CQB, extremely important topic, not available to enough of the civilians in the world. I want you guys to come and get this professional protectors. You need this stuff. Okay. Um, Kawa has been in the game teaching elite fighting forces for a long time. I always like to start off the podcast with this one question. We go deep first, you know, brother, who are you at your core? Like who's the man behind the work, bro? Oh man, that's uh, I wasn't ready for that question. Um, <laughs> we dig in, you know, man. Um, what, I'm trying to I'm trying to like summarize this because it is kind of a long story. As yeah, most man. of you guys know, I'm Afghan. I was born in Afghanistan. Uh, you know, my f- entire family's from Kabul. Uh, came to the U.S. when I was like three years old. Man, we came here as immigrants, and you know, just found like we were we escaped the war, right? Because the Russian invasion was going on, and I grew up in this country um, and from a very young age, and I became Americanized very early, but also hung on to my culture and all that. Uh, but, you know, I also developed a, great, a, a very overwhelming like sense of gratitude for how this country accepted us with open arms and how we were able to improve our quality of life in, the, in, the, in America versus what life would have looked like in Afghanistan had I grown up. I mean, who knows what I would have ended up being, you know, what I mean, like with all the influences and all the craziness happening over there. But here I could be anybody I want. And because the military runs deep in my blood, in my genes, because I, everybody in my family serves, especially on my dad's side, they're all fighters. Uh, and if you guys know the so, history of Afghanistan, that's all we do is fight. Um, yeah, those guys are dead serious, so, bro. <laughs> yeah, so like it was in my genes. So I knew I was going to go into the military, and I knew that I was going to be in some kind of combat MOS because, again, that's like why, why else would I join the military? You know, I started out in the Marine Corps as an 0311 infantry guy. Um, I did a few deployments there. That's where I started out, Camp Pendleton, West Coast Marines. So Yo, East Coast guys, sorry. Hood, bro. Oh, hey. That's what's up. Two <laughs> yeah. West Coast Marines, man. Hollywood. Yeah. Hollywood just Marines. The, just the 0311. But I joined when I joined prior to 911 um because nothing, you know, I, that's how I kind of convinced my family. My my family was very against me joining the military because they were like, Well, yeah. we just came from a war-torn country. Why would you join the military? And I was like, It's in my blood. I can't you know, like, not I just can't not, you know <laughs> yeah. what I mean? Like, yeah. I mean, I was playing with like little guns since I was like two years old. Yeah, but anyway, so the plan, mom. <laughs> yeah, but I, you know, I convinced them. I was like, look, nothing's going on. I'm going to do three, four years, maybe get out, finish, go to a graduate degree or whatever, you know. But then 9-11 kicked off, you know, not even a year after I joined and changed all of our lives, right? Yeah, and yeah, uh, yeah. and that was that, man. You know, next thing I know, I find myself in Iraq and staged in Kuwait, ready to invade Iraq. Mm-hmm. Um, and then uh, the second deployment was Fallujah. I was a squad leader at that point, you know, led a squad okay. of Marines in Fallujah for their Operation Phantom Fury. And that was yeah. a game changer, man. That's what yep. really kind of shaped me as a man mm-hmm. and understanding what I wanted to do with the rest of my life. Yeah. You know, we all kind of came back as men from that deployment. Uh, it yeah. was not, I mean, if you guys know Operation Phantom Fury, it was like the biggest urban assault, uh, ur- urban City. assault since like Way City, Vietnam. Yep. And uh, a lot of people died. Uh, you know, a lot of, a lot of good Marines died, but we, you know, got a lot of bad guys too. And Fallujah was pro- pretty much destroyed by the end of that, uh, deployment. But I yep. knew at that point that I needed to do something like the Marine Corps was not like the pinnacle of what I'm supposed to do. You know, I mean, I love the infantry. Don't get me wrong. I still, I still defend Marine Corps infantry, you know, to this day, but I just knew that there was something better for me. And that's when I decided that I'm going to leave the Marine Corps uh, and go into the army and try out for special forces. And I knew that the, it wasn't a guarantee. I knew that if I didn't make it, I'd be stuck in the army infantry unit, 
which you know i mean it's not all bad right but like it, but like when you it's like army versus marine corps right we're yeah. always like talking yeah. shit yeah right as a marine you're like no yeah it's like I'm no, gonna no. Be purgatory now. yeah it's like no we're well, better, like, no, we're better you know <laughs> you know we always saw the army infantry guys is like these these guys have way cooler toys and equipment but like mm -hmm. bro we put we put in work with our broomsticks and you know yep. what i mean like 1980s yep. kevlar vests and stuff yep. vietnam era weapons yeah. <laughs> you know, silver yeah. guns anyways you know so there is a sense of pride there but i knew i i, I was willing to i was willing to take that risk um and so that's what i did i i got out of the marine corps honorably and i enlisted in the army I actually enlisted as 11 Bravo because I was at least going to choose what I was going to fall back on had I not made, you know, had I not got past selection or, or made uh, special forces. So that's what I did, man. I took that journey. And then a year and a half later, I earned my Green Beret and I went to fifth group. And fifth group is where I wanted to go because they were in charge of the Middle East. Um, and, you know, being Afghan and understanding that culture and everything, I knew I could I could be I could do well there. They could use me. Right. And so. That's exactly what they did, man. They put me, they put me to work, and I did a lot of cool things in in uh, Fifth Special Forces Group for all those years I was there. Um, several deployments, several amazing schools, met a lot of cool people, uh, got a lot of good experience, and it really was set me up for what I wanted to do on the outside, which was take all this information, all these skill sets, all this experience that from the Marine Corps to the Army, and now give that to civilians you know, in the best way I could, of course, right? Um, I had to kind of tweak it, obviously, but just give it to civilians. Because, uh, you know, not that I want to say, like, I knew where this country is going, but you could already kind of tell, man, like, you know, we're always going against the grain in this community, whether it's if you're talking about the Second Amendment, where you're talking about, you know, patriotism, patriotism, uh, where you're talking about, uh, you know, the just the, the way of life that we love to to have in this country, like everything is against the grain. And, and I knew that the only thing I could do that would make me happy outside of the military was to just be a teacher to civilians, but not just civilians, law enforcement as well. Um, and that's that, man, that's as, that's as like, as you know, summarized as I could put it. My last yeah. job, my last job in special forces. So that's like operational experience. My instructor experience comes from my last few years in fifth group where I was teaching at Safawik and Safawik stands for Special Forces Advanced Urban Combat. Um, it is probably the number two highest shooting school in special operations. And it was an honor and a privilege to be, uh, to make it one to that, but also be a part of that committee and teach. Uh, we taught 40 Green Berets every six weeks. We spent two weeks on the flat range for with very advanced type uh, rifle, pistol, shotgun shooting. And then we took about two to two and a half weeks into the shoot house. And all we did was CQB. Uh, we started off. We started off with uh, live fire, so and then we kind of gradu. We kind of degressed to uh, sims because we were obviously putting role players in there now, and we were kind of testing some of their stuff, right? So, but but I knew, but I knew that as much as I loved flat range stuff and as good as I was with that, I knew that my bread and butter and what I really enjoyed was CQB. Like it just came natural to me. Not that I'm like this some kind of CQB master. That person doesn't exist. Um, but the understanding of CQB, the concept of it, and then being able to deliver that, uh, deliver that to students, I just found a little more natural. So that's kind of where I honed in on in my time there. And then, I mean, to this day, man, I love teaching CQB more than anything else. Uh, and that's why I'm so excited to teach here at this, at this year's symposium. So 
Yeah, uh, but that's it, man. That is me that's in a nutshell. <laughs> no, I love it, man. I love it. Passion, experience. Um, there's a lot to be said. So when I got to the Marine Corps, it was right after you guys got back from Fallujah. They made us sit there and um, uh, read the newspaper articles of you guys pushing into the city and just like burned it in our chest. And like, all oh, you losers are missing out on the initial push. You'll never be the men that they are. You know, and we're just sitting there like, oh, I hate this. You know, hopefully the war is still going on. We get out of boot camp, you know, we're yeah. all, you know, all our conditioning going. Um, but uh, when I got to my unit, man, it was really cool to get to be able to train with these cats that were just downrange in the biggest urban engagement since Way City in Vietnam. You know, it was literally like that training day scenario where they're like, you remember all that stuff you learned at, at, at the academy? Unlearn that right now. This is how we really get down. This is what really happens. You do that. This is what's really going to happen. Like, and, and. I got that real world gritty and gritty instruction. And there's a difference, man. I'm not saying someone who hasn't been down range uh, can't teach you stuff. Like there's great instructors, but right. there's like this energy that comes from a dude who knows the tactics he's teaching you um, saved his life or saved lives. Or, you know, I mean, he's seen that stuff or proven it out in real world uh, violence, you know? Um, yeah. and that is something that I really love about having you on the, on this, on this, uh, on this card. And, you know, a lot of the instructors, man, is to be able to say, nah, that these dudes really have, have gone downrange and got after it. And you guys get to learn from people who have been there and done that. Yeah. You know, Fallujah, so. Fallujah was, uh, Fallujah was a big CQB test. And right. as Marine infantry guys, I mean, most of you know, this Marine infantry guys, CQB is not what we do. We do small unit tactics. We know how to patrol. We know how to build a base defense. We know how to lay an ambush. You know, we know how to counter, but we don't do CQB. So the limited, and I mean, like you're talking about the tip of the the tip of the iceberg. Yeah. yeah. That amount of knowledge, we had to go into the city and to go house to house, door to door, check every nook and cranny, and that's how actually we lost a lot of guys, man, because like yeah. these guys were hunkered down in these buildings waiting for us, and they knew we were coming. And even with all the cool stuff that we had, the experience wasn't there. The knowledge wasn't there. You know what I mean? That the yep. instruction beforehand wasn't there. So we were learning on the fly what works and what doesn't work as we're getting shot at and as we're shooting people. And uh, and that kind of that kind of operational experience, even as a Marine, does take you a long way. Even when I got to SF and I got to a high level of instruction, a high level of execution, I went back to those days in Fallujah and I was like, that's what it's like. Now I can execute. Now I can execute better, but bad guys do what bad guys do, man. Yeah. They don't play by the rules, you know? There's no rules. Yeah. So it's just, but now understanding CQB better as a Green Beret uh, just meant that I could relay that information to students as what bad guys can do or what your body or what your mind goes through as you're as you're going through this process. Um, so it all, I mean, it goes hand in hand. And I was very fortunate, one, not to, <laughs> you know, not to, or made to make it back from Fallujah, but also very fortunate to be able to take that experience and take it to special forces and then yeah, make man. sense of it at that level. Yeah, no, hundred percent, man. I, uh, just a thought that popped in my head that ain't even on the, on the card, but, um, what are your thoughts, man? I mean, I when we went through, when we went back through, mine was uh, Haditha, man. We were clearing Haditha and doing all that stuff. Um, and we hit a few dozen little villages and stuff like that over my two deployments. And I mean, it was just house to house to house to house to house to house to yeah. house you know, for weeks. Go firm, three hours, 
you know, you take a nap. I, I got your back. You're yeah, sleeping. yeah. Okay, you know, and um, we were hammering, but you know, this video comes out of this school, this active shooter, bro. And I'm watching these these law enforcement officers. Obviously, I have the utmost respect for you know our professional protectors. Um, but what goes through your mind when you see a video like the one that came out of the Texas shooting? You know, and you see these dudes stacked up on, you know, stacked up and it takes him 77 minutes to get into the room. And my man had to get his hand sanitizer on. You know what I'm saying? Before you, like, yeah. I, I'm going to tell everyone what I'm thinking, but what goes through your head when you see? Something yeah, it's like tough, that? man. It's tough because, you know, prior to teaching uh, outside, like prior to starting my training company and actually teaching with law enforcement, even like from regular patrol cops to, to SWAT to HRT type guys. Uh, I wouldn't have, I wouldn't, I would have just given them the benefit of the doubt. I would have been like, you know what? These guys maybe don't have enough training or experience, but when I see guys like Bortak and I've worked with Bortak in the past, Bortak, uh, on average, they're not like high-speed operators, but they have, they have like a high level of, ex uh, they have a high level of execution for their, for their protocols. Okay. Um, when I see that and I, and like, First of all, if they're just cops, I try not to beat them up too much because I have to always take myself back to my experience with police officers and knowing that, first of all, these guys get 30 rounds a month mm -hmm. and to shoot. And when mm -hmm. they do shoot, it's just a qual because it's a check in the box. Mm -hmm. uh, two, they don't get a lot of team training in that sense. You know, they definitely don't get a lot of CQB training. I mean, they're not a special tactics team. So mm -hmm. what do they know about CQB? So I try to look at it from a neutral kind of point of view but at the same time it just it's really like disheartening to see these guys you know not act and and somebody not taking the initiative because in cqb at least on our level you know there is leadership outside of the building yeah. once you get inside of the building there is no more leadership because every man in that room or in that building is an assaulter every one of them is an operator they shouldn't have to wait for leadership to be like all right guys go down this hallway it's like yeah. no dude somebody fucking take charge and say hey stack on me hallway split fucking hallway posture and let's go right and as you get to closed doors and open doors you start addressing them or locking them down and you follow the the, the, the sound of gunfire and to see them not even do that much was very um I mean, saying cringe word cringe is just a kind of a cliche thing to say, but that's how you that's how you feel on the inside. It's just like, bro, like it just hurts my it hurts my heart to see to imagine what these kids were going through uh, in these classrooms while these guys, these professionals were just hanging out at this little T section or whatever. And nobody was taking charge. Nobody was taking initiative. Um, yeah, man, and that's that's really about as all as I can say. Yeah, no, I, I I'm with you on that, man. I um, you know, just knowing that when we were hitting those houses and there's like teams of grown men in those buildings trying to kill us and we were trying to kill them, um, and we had no sleep, no food, <laughs> no showers for two weeks, yeah. you know, and we yeah. were kicking those doors, moving towards the sound of gunfire, staying up all night, getting after it. I just, you know. I, 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 my heart goes out to, to one, the people who are paying our professionals to do this, right. you know, like 
we are expecting a service. So we got to be, and, and I say this in the EP world, in the private security world, we must be as advertised. Like it's not enough. And I'm talking to anybody who's a professional protector. It's not enough just to have a paycheck and just to, and just to go to work because you have a job and, and all that. Yeah. If you're doing this work, it's got to be more than just a job. It's got to be a lifestyle. And yeah. so my guys, my professional protectors, you know, we're going to the range this weekend um, and we try to build training into our budget. We try to get a training allowance so we can keep our guys legit when it comes to medical, right. and, uh, you know, all the different tools we need on the spectrum of driving and shooting and communication and counter surveillance. Um, but, you know, that is part of this work. You know, 77 minutes for evil to reign supreme in a room is just, and I say this with respect, and I also say it as a, um, like a challenge, you know, as men, this is our love language. It is unacceptable. A hundred percent. A hundred percent. And I can say that because I've had to make the call yeah. and be like, yo, I think I might, I'm going to have to go, I might die, but I'm not letting my boys go in here by themselves. Today, yeah. we're going to die together for the right stuff, you yeah. know, so. Which kind you know, of. Which, sorry, I didn't mean to steal your thunder, but I was just going to say, which kind of takes us now to after action, right? When we look at this after action and we assess what happened in those 77 minutes. From the comfort now it's of time. our chairs. From the, comfort of, from the comfort of our chairs, you know? Yeah. But what I'm trying to talk about is like nobody yeah. can disagree with this is yeah. now accountability, right? Yeah. Now heads, heads got a role at this point, yeah. right? And that's what I haven't seen. Where is the accountability for these police officers? Where is the accountability for the leadership? You know, who is the ground force commander? Where is his accountability? Where, I haven't, I have yet to seen anybody get fired. I've yet to see anybody get even just leave without pay or something. You know what I mean? Uh, yeah. And yeah, another, ahead, another small consideration too, I think is a large one is changes in American culture uh, with regards to our, war, our, our war fighters and our law enforcement agencies, you know, I know for, a, I mean, I don't know for a fact, but I'm just going to go on ahead and assume that these guys probably have seen other officers get hung out to dry, have seen other officers not get support. Um, I don't think that our law enforcement agencies are able to act um, knowing that their job is secure, that they, that they, that anyone's going to have their back and right, wrong, or indifferent. I know how that affects a fighting force, you know? Yeah. Um, yep. And, and not having a clear mind when you're going in there that, hey, my chain of commands trusted me to make the best decision on ground. Like having to be like, yo, I could be right and then I could not be able to feed my family and I could go to jail for the rest of my life. Mm -hmm. Like thoughts like that in your whole, in, in your, that, your mind while you're fighting, those are killers. So I think there's yeah. something, you know, big we time. should look at there too. If yeah, big time. It does, it does affect you operationally when you think that even if I do the right thing, my chain of command will not have my back. Or they'll just let me, you know, uh, you know, they'll let me flapping and they'll leave me flapping in the wind, you know, and that really affects your operational aptitude uh, because at that point you still want to do the right thing, but you even if you hesitate, right? Because before, if everything was groovy with your chain of command and you're just like, hey, you guys got this, go. Just you're not even thinking, you're in work mode. But the moment you have even that slightest doubt and you hesitate for that moment. Uh, that one, one that echoes throughout the throughout the unit, right? Throughout yeah. the element that's on the ground, it echoes. But two, that that again, it takes away that response time that was so dire in this in this situation. 
Um, yeah, big time. So that all that affects it, man. It's it's and you're right. This culture, this culture for law enforcement and uh, these other agencies has changed dramatically in the last couple of years. Yeah. And, and we all know why that's due due to, right. you know, but the, the real question should be, what's the solution and how do we give back? Yep. Uh, because these things are not going to stop. These school yep. shootings are not going to stop. Nope. Uh, live video ended. The school yep. shootings are not going to stop. The, you know, the, none of this stuff is going to stop. It's just never going to stop. You know, you guys, they want to take guns away. It's still not going to stop. You yep. know what I mean? Um, uh, go ahead. Sorry. No, I, that was, I was going to let you kind of pick up from there. Yeah, man. And that's the thing. So that's why we're into this CQB. That's why the mission is to make the world a safer place by helping good people to become more dangerous and understand how to move through these environments. Um, so as you see more active shooters, man, uh, taking place, active shooting events taking place in our society, what are your thoughts, man? What what types of things, you know, go through your mind as far as, you know, civilians being prepared and uh, things like that? So there's a couple of things that I think uh, are one big or uh, are, are big, I should say. And one, obviously, it's it's situational awareness. Uh, without situational awareness, there's, there's, it doesn't matter how well you're trained, how well you can shoot, how how much of a tactician you are. Uh, situational awareness is something that I preach all the time. And people are like, well, teach me how to be more situationally aware. And this is how I break it down. If you look at every kind of location in our society, each one of these locations have a, has a culture of its own. Like, look at a gas station, right? What is the culture of a gas station? So what I mean by that is what typically happens at a gas station? What do people do? And once you understand what the norms of that little culture is, of that environment, then you understand how to pick out the abnormalities. And once you understand the abnormalities, now you can give that more attention, right? A grocery store, a theater, a mall, uh, a, a restaurant, understand the culture of each one of these environments or understanding the culture of each one of these environments will then get you to a place where when you see an abnormality, it sticks out right away. Like it's just, it just does. Right. And when you, when you understand that, then now you are now situationally aware you are, it's not like rubbernecking and stuff like that. There is the whole five and 25 thing, which I firmly believe in. Obviously, meeting, uh, scanning your immediate kind of little five meter perimeter or whatever, and then scanning out further for threat indicators. But, you know, most of these most of these things happen inside of a structure and each one of those structures has a culture. Understand that. Understand that. That's that's how you pick out threat indicators. And they and they really stick out. You don't even have to look for them. They just naturally stick out at that point. Um, so situational is big. Situational awareness is big. Other than that, it's it's training it's training on your own and understanding what's important to you to your pattern of life, because you see all these things on social media like, well, this guy is on the flat range with full kit, and this guy is working mainly out of vehicles, and this guy is doing a lot of CQB, and it's like, no man, don't look at these people on Instagram as like people you should emulate. Look at yeah. your pattern of life, and and understand be like, where am I the most vulnerable in my pattern of life? Am right. I vulnerable inside my house? Is it work? Is it in route from work? you know, to the house, or maybe it's that lunch place that you go to, what kind of lifestyle do you live? And then now pick out the vulnerabilities. In essence, what you're doing is you are doing a risk assessment of your own life. Yep. And once you understand what that, what the risks are, once you complete that assessment, 
then you kind of have a better idea of what kind of training you should really focus on, you know? Mm -hmm. So whether that could be concealment training, or if you're, if you're a professional, maybe it's more stuff out of OWD holster, whatever it is. But once you kind of do a risk assessment of your own pattern of life, then you, you know, kind of like, okay, this is where I need to focus on. If you spend most of your time in a car, right? Maybe you should work on, you know, doing some seek, some concealed stuff out of a car. Maybe you should take a VCQB class, right? So stuff like that versus just spending your money on nods and, and lasers classes or spending your money on, uh, you know, professional driving or stuff like that. Like, that's what it is, guys. That's where you start. Start with your own, make it personal to you and then branch out. That's what, that's my best advice. That's really good advice, man. Like you hit on some solid stuff. Situational awareness is a really broad term, so I'm glad you broke it down. Uh, and it really begins with understanding the social baseline of your environment. That's how you recognize anomalies. You, yep. You're like, yo, what's everyone supposed to be doing here? Okay, how does everyone here have an alibi? Are they all doing what they're supposed to be doing here? Why is there one military age male not doing what everyone else is, is supposed to be doing here? And and it comes down to being like, okay, that's my guy. I'm gonna make sure. I have visual mastery and I'm going to make sure that he's not gaining tactical positioning on me. And I'm going to pump my gas. Gas stations are where a lot of these things go down. You know, you, you mentioned you, you hit it, the nail right on the head, transitional spaces. Take a look at your life. Look at the vulnerabilities. Oh, I don't have any vulnerabilities, Byron. Well, uh, do you go from your car to your office, your office to your car, from your car into your house? Do you park in a garage? Mm -hmm. Like these are transitional spaces. If you go back yeah. and you watch my, tactical protection reviews, you're going to notice everyone gets hit in these transitional spaces, right? You know, like, because this is where it goes down, man. Um, and that's micro and that's macro. That's from your house to your car. That's from your trip to, to New York, you know? Yeah. Um, and you know, and I'll, I'll caveat one more thing to that is like, what one additional thing you could do if you have the time and resources, of course, you don't have to do this, but, you know, it's kind of sometimes it's good to put yourself in a bad guy's perspective, yeah. you know? Let's say you you walk through this park every morning to get to work or to that coffee shop. You know, if you were a bad guy, where would you hide? Where are the choke points? Where are the open areas? Where is it most saturated with people? Where are you alone for even two minutes, right? If you were the bad guy and you were your own target, where would you hit you from, right? Mm -hmm. And again, that's just some, some kind of like advanced type stuff that we look at. Uh, and that'll, again, it'll give you a different perspective because now you're looking at you, your life or your pattern of life through the bad guy's eyes. And now you can better prepare, right. For certain little, you know, events in your, in your life or through the day or whatever it is. No, 100%, man. That is, in my opinion, that is one of the first things we do. Anytime we get on task, as we look at our life, what's my pattern of life? Where are my vulnerabilities? If I was a bad dude, where would I hit me? You know, that's why I'm, you know, I, I carry, I'm carrying everywhere. I got, I got my stuff with me even at the gym, <laughs> you know, cause that's, yeah. you know, that's how I'm thinking, man. Like yeah, you know, man. if I was, yep. if I was tracking Byron and, and so here's a quick case study, right? Like if I was tracking Byron, where would I hit Byron? You know what I'm saying? Where's the only place I go live at the gym, right? Where do you go live in your life? I got a few clients now because they went live while they were on some trip. Somebody's looking at the hashtags for Aspen, sees them go, go, okay, they're the hashtag Aspen. Boom. That means they're not home. They already knew where they live. And then you're getting hit while you're not at your house. So social that's media it. is another layer. That's digital realm that um, can make you vulnerable if you don't understand how to navigate that as well. Mm -hmm. um, that's a very good point, man. Social media is, is in essence a vulnerability, not like uh, anything 
that's good for you <laughs> other than <laughs> right. followers and stuff yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. i mean connect, relationships are important but yeah. security wise it's a vulnerability yeah you know? man just don't post every little thing bro that's you right. know like just you don't unless you're like getting paid for that then that's right. different but you know and even then you ain't gonna catch me posting when i'm not home like no, <laughs> you know? no. so Dude, what about I'm gonna I'm gonna play real quick your video for the Protector Symposium. We're gonna quick take a quick break so everyone can see that, and then we come back. I want to hear your thoughts on active shooter and run, hide, fight. Okay, yeah. stand by, palms down. Coming up next, we've got Kawa Two Alpha Two Quit in the house, and he's a former Green Beret that's been teaching agencies. Uh, elite fighting forces all over the United States and the globe for quite some time now. Um, but specifically in the art of close quarters battle or close quarters movement, how do you make entry? How do you move around in the urban environments that we frequent so often with your firearm? How do you navigate those environments effectively, whether it's a search for an aggressor or it's just to evacuate the aggressor? And in today's day and age, where we're dealing with so many active human threats whether it's active shooter or whatever it is you very well could be faced with the reality that you need to make a decision run hide or fight which one are you going to do if it's run if it's hide or if it's fight and it's, it's going to happen in an urban environment this class is going to help you if you're an ep and you have to move your principal through the inside of a structure do you know how to do that effectively if you're in law enforcement and you have to get out of your vehicle and you have to move through that urban structure and search or fight your way out of that urban structure someone goes active while you're at work how are you going to get to your car how are you going to get out of the school these are the skills that two alpha is going to come that kawa is going to come and help equip professional protectors with this is going to be amazing don't miss it Yo, you know your boy. Your own videos, man. I could be a DJ up here. <laughs> <laughs> you know. Um, yeah, man. No, here we are. Kawa Two Alpha's up in here, putting down, dropping bars on us about close quarters battle, about CQB, about moving through urban structures. Um, you know, this is gonna be one of an awesome module of our upcoming protector symposium 5.0 this is the fifth iteration you guys get some tickets i'm going to put the link in the comments go to protectorsymposium.com tickets are selling out fast obviously we only have limited space this is a once in a lifetime training event we're going to have kawa two alpha ed calderon raul martinez instructor zero we're going to have uh uh, Craig Sawyer, Sawman is going to be up in the house. We're even doing a module on protective driving with contact driving as well. But those seats are almost already sold out, man. People ain't messing around. Of course they are. Dude, everybody's getting in on it. Everyone wants yeah, to crash cars. Yeah. I want to do that. It's pretty dope. I want to do we gotta, all of it. Yeah, man. We, we, we get, we'll sneak off and make some content just, you know. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know? yeah so, yeah, y'all. This event is going to be awesome. It's going to be September 16th, 17th, 18th. Um, and so don't miss it. This really is, it's literally getting all these guys in one place is a once in a lifetime training event. So yeah. yo, the infamous Kawa two alpha is here. Um, wanted to get your thoughts, man, on what I know law enforcement agencies have been teaching. Um, there are a billion ways to skin a cat, but what do you think about someone goes active in the building? There's a shooter. What do you think about the run, hide fight doctrine and, or 
what would you do, man? What would be your first thoughts going through your head? Yeah, so let me preface that with saying that I I'm not an EP professional like Byron. I don't come from that world. Uh, what I've what I've tried to do, and and uh, what I've tried to do is take a military. I've I've tried to take some military protocols and some techniques and tactics and apply them into this world uh, and kind of I've bounced them off several EPs, uh, EP professionals, I should say. uh, And I've gotten some good feedback as how to tweak that for you guys. Uh, And then really the principles. Real quick, real quick, too. Sorry to cut you off for anybody, just not just for a civilian, because everyone's invited to this event, civilians, law enforcement, EP, everyone in the game active shooter situations are happening all over the world. What do you think, you know, just so that everybody can get in on, you know, this one? Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. Um, And so what I was trying to say was just basically like, you know, I don't come from that world. I didn't grow Mm -hmm. up in that world. And if I did, I probably have a little bit better perspective and, you know, but like I do work with a lot of professionals from that world and from that industry who also kind of helped me shape this course uh, and take some of the military stuff and some of the civilian stuff uh, from that world and mash them together to what makes sense. And so, you know, it's it's tough to say when an active shooter scenario happens inside of a structure. What do what do you do? Do you run? Do you you know? Do you fight? Uh, you know, but situation situation kind of dictates a lot of that because if it's at a gas station. It's closed. It's confined. You may not have a choice but to fight. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? You could go for the door uh, and you may have a chance of getting out of there, you know, but but also how many people are in a gas station at once? Well, probably like five to maybe 20 if it's one of those big love type gas stations. You know what I mean? Now, if you put yourself in a mall or a theater, especially a theater, if you try to run anywhere in a theater, you're not going anywhere fast. You know what I mean? Yep. You're lying. So where I'm trying to go with that is is being proactive versus reactive when you when you go into a place like what i do with my children i have two teenage boys uh one is about to turn 18 the other one's about to be 16 i got two younger girls eight and nine wow and in fact my eight-year-old's birthday was today and wow. so thanks what for I being with us. huh thanks yeah. for being with us man i appreciate it yeah no i know it's all good man uh, but like what I do with my kids and I don't try to do it in this way that's going to be like bore them or not make sense to them. Uh, but what I try to do is like when we go somewhere as a family or even if I'm going somewhere with a, a wife or a girlfriend or something like that, it's just a it's just a quick little like it's just a quick little brief. Right. Mm-hmm. OK, mm-hmm. so we're about to walk through here. This is where we parked. It does Again, it doesn't have to be this specific or it can be as specific as you need it to be to make sense. But. If you're going through the food court and you're trying to get to the movie theater, it's kind of like, okay, we're going through these different phases. What happens if something happens, something bad happens in the food court? What happens if something bad happens outside of the food court in route, you know, in that transitional space? It's that kind of kind of planning. And, and again, it's not breaking it down to like this whole military operation. But really, if, if we're in a movie theater and we're sitting in the, in the back or the front, and some guy starts popping off, what do we do? What do yep. we do? You don't need to have a plan. You don't need to be like, well, this is contingency one, and this is like contingency two. Like, it just needs to be that a plan is in place so that what it really does is gets your it gets your mind thinking, right? And so now your mind is being proactive 
versus reactive. Now imagine having even the worst plan going into a theater versus not having any plan at all, right? Yeah. And you don't tell your kids. And let's say, you know, some guy starts popping off in the theater and now your kids are like, you know, everyone's <laughs> thinking you have five different people with five different minds and they're all thinking five different things, mm -hmm. right? And so it's just a little bit of preparation uh, that will help you kind of decide what do we do from here, right? As far as your question goes, Byron, uh, it's it's tough to say that because now if you are a civilian, I would tell you that there is no fight worth fighting if you're not safe first. Mm. You know what I mean? Security yeah. is paramount. Yep. And that goes from the highest levels down to the lowest levels. If you don't have security, you can't do anything. You know what I mean? Yep. Uh, and, and, and for example, in CQB, if you're facing an open door and nobody has a gun pointed at that door, or if you don't have a split stack kind of crossing rifles through that door, you can't do any work in that room because again, you're exposed, the area is not secure and you don't, there's just, just no progress from there. So, but what, what that translates to in a civilian world is your own security. Now I'm not saying you have to save all 50 people in this theater, but whoever you're there with, you need to at least have security for yourself and that person. And maybe that person is capable too. Maybe they're trained or whatever, right? And maybe they're they're thinking along the same lines. But without security, you can't do anything else. So yeah. at the minimum security, and after that, whether you run or whether you fight is a little more situationally dependent. And it's not easy. It's not like a really easy answer to say, well, you just fight. You know, yeah. you're a fighter, you fucking fight. You know, yeah. that guy in the mall, that guy in the Indianapolis mall, you know, what he chose to do was he didn't run, right. but he also didn't necessarily advance right away. You know, he took cover. So what is the principle of cover? It's security. He made sure that he was secure first. And I, I think he was with somebody as well. Uh, but he made sure that that person, I think it was like his girlfriend or his wife. So they made sure that they both had cover. He took a minute to assess the situation. At that point, he made a decision you know what i'm capable of doing this and i have a maybe he had a, a clear line of fire maybe his backstop was clear whatever it was he took that 40 yard shot and he took several of them and he made that decision now he could have easily ran out of there and no yeah. one would have ever judged him no yeah. one would have been like hey bro you had a gun on you why didn't you do something yeah. you know what i mean of course you got the trolls that would have said that yeah. but he made a decision that he was going to stay and fight but yeah. did he fight in close proximity or did he use the space that he have that he had right mm -hmm. so he did very well in that situation where he's like dude i got 40 meters between me and this guy i don't need to close distance he has a rifle i have a pistol and on top of that he had a subcompact right which is not the easiest gun to shoot and no, not at no 40 yards bro <laughs> yeah no, like that especially not at 40 yards. Up, like, yeah. i was like yeah and he went like what was it like eight out of ten it was like something something yeah it was, it was something crazy he did really well man like yeah. honestly i mean he did everything he was supposed to and he even used the space right he used that situation or that that spatial awareness and he used the space of that area to his advantage Right. And so and so those are the little things that I tell people this all the time. It's not the big decisions that make or break us in these situations. It's the little ones that make or break us. In CQB, it's not the big movements. It's always the little things like not breaking, not not digging that corner upon entry or not collapsing your sector to that next assaulter. It's those little things that always make or break us.
Um, so I, I wish I had like a better answer for you, Byron, but yeah, it's, yeah, a, it's a tough one, man. But I'm trying to give people a foundation to think on so that at least they're kind of being a little more proactive mentally to, you know, these places that they're visiting or, or frequency. Yeah, man. No, no, no. Your answer was perfect. That's the answer. The answer is it's situational dependent. It's situationally dependent. In my opinion, what do I know? You know, I'm, you know, we're just two guys kicking it back and forth, but in my opinion, it is situational. It's situational, man. It's situation dependent. Yeah. Situation dictates tactics. And, you know, my suggestion always, you know, is is always know your environment, know where and the best ways for you to run, know the best places for you to hide around you and know if you have to fight, what do you have at your disposal? Where are you going to hard point at and understand how, how to stack tactical advantages? But that joint's all situational dependent. I love that you talked about your family, too, man. Um, I think that's that's that is part yeah, of. That's what we do. That's like our little thing before we get out of the car. It's just, it's like a little two minute spiel. All right, guys, because they know by now they're like, got it, dad. And I'm just like, all right, I'm just putting it, I'm just, I'm just taking it from back here and I'm putting it here. You know what I mean? That's all I'm doing. Don't get mad at me. Right. And so I'm just bringing it to the forefront of your mind now. Mm -hmm. Um, But, you know, it's just a two little minute spiel, man. They know if we're inside of a store, we're going to take cover. You know, Mm -hmm. if we're out in a transitional kind of hallway or whatever, it's, it's like follow my instructions to the T. You know what I mean? Yes. Yeah. And so with that guy, like, and the other thing is, man, understand who you're going up against, right? Yeah. This guy was already at a disadvantage with an, a guy that has an AR. He has a subcompact, a Hellcat or whatever he had, right? He's already at 40 meters. That's tough. There's people probably running back and forth, all chaotic. You know. <laughs> now, imagine if you threw one more gunman into that mix. Would he have done the same thing? I mean, it's hard you to know. say, right? We can yeah. we can armchair quarterback and say that if he probably would have chose to fight that, he would have been probably he probably would have walked out of there that day. You know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, that yeah, that would have been a, that would have been a hard fight. But understand what you're going up against, man. Not everything is about well, I got a gun, so I got to act. That's not it, man. That's not it. Sometimes you got to fucking take care of your own, walk away, and understand the lessons learned there. You know what I mean? To fight another day, and or you know, and leverage your tactics, man. I got out of the Marine yep. Corps. You know, we're kicking indoors, we're flooding cities. And uh, I went to train with some of the boys up at um, LA Sheriff's Department, uh, SCB dudes. And I'm sitting there in one of the shoot houses running around. And uh, kind of one of my mentors, he's he grabs me, and he stops me, and he's like, Hey, uh, what did he say? He was like, uh, Where are you going? I'm like, I'm going to get to the threat. And he's like, how, how long do you have to get to this threat? And I'm like, I don't know. You know, I don't know what's going in there. I got to get in there. <laughs> you know, and he's yeah. like, He's like, you've got the rest of your life. <laughs> He's like, you go in this house, you make one mistake, and that's it. That's He's it. like, slow down. And yeah. I'm like, you know, we got shock troop tactic training, you know? So they we would just flood stuff, scream, ah, kicking in. I mean, it was the nasty, <laughs> ridiculous. <laughs> like Power tactic. Rangers just fucking. <laughs> <laughs> Violence of yeah. action, breaking stuff as we go there just to, you know. Oh man, and I like think like unnecessary like, somersaults and car oh, wheels and shit. I was like, did they take advantage of us like that we were 18 and we would do whatever they told us to do. Um, but uh, you know, they did, but anyway, so yeah, man. And he was like, You have the rest of your life, don't make a mistake, slow down. He's like, and I just remember being like, Wow, like. Phew. You know, and and it's true, man. These situations they they unfold quick. They're dynamic, and you've got to make the right decisions. So let's see. As we get into our closing questions here, what would you say is 
the hardest lesson you've learned, you know, in your professional career out in the field or as an instructor? The hardest lesson that I've learned. Oh, that's a tough one, man. I, I don't know if I was ready for that. <laughs> We'd um, be digging in towards the, the end. The hardest too. lesson. Well, I, I guess it is it's really kind of uh, it's internal. It's internal. Mm -hmm. It's understanding what I'm capable of. It's understanding what my deficiencies are and what I'm good at. And because we want to we want to pretend like we're good at everything. And we're not, man. We're just we all have deficiencies, but we have to identify those deficiencies if we're ever going to improve on them. And some sometimes, and and especially like at our at our level of of operating uh, Green Berets, you know, one for a year and a half, they tell they pretty much treat you like you're a badass. You know what I mean? And uh, and so by the time you get to the unit, you already think you're a fucking badass, and then you already kind of fall into this kind of like false sense of. Oh, well, I just, you know what I mean? Like, I'm already good, bro. I already made it, you know? And so one of the hardest lessons learned for me was when I went to some of these advanced schools thinking I was like, oh, bro, like I'm a Green Beret. I got this. And it was a, a, like a a rude awakening of, bro, just because you're a Green Beret, that doesn't, that doesn't mean shit. You know what I mean? It's the merits that you earn on that journey that really make you who you are. Uh, and... And so that's it for me was like understanding, first of all, it's, it's, it's the whole like 12 step process, like acknowledge that you have a problem, you know what I mean? Acknowledge that you have a deficiency. And once you acknowledge that deficiency, now come up with a plan on how to improve off of that, you know, or get to that next level of proficiency. Um, and that was something I learned early on in my SF career because I thought I was coming in from Fallujah, like this hot squad leader Marine, and I got this, that, and the other. And I was like, nah, bro, <laughs> you know, these guys are on a whole new level, man. I got shut down hard. Yeah. Uh, but it humbled me, man. It humbled me really quick. And I'm glad that that happened for, you know, I mean, it sucked at the time, but I'm glad that that happened. I needed that kind of kick in the nuts to understand that I can't take that approach, you know, just yeah. because I did some cool things in the Marine Corps. But uh, as an instructor, it's 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 um, understanding that not everyone not everyone understands the language that you're putting out. So it was like you know when you're talking to Green Berets, everything's like military terms and acronyms, and it's like fuck you, do it. You know, it's like one of those type like you got you know what I mean. So, but when you're talking to civilians, it's not just first you can't take that approach with civilians. You gotta you gotta talk like a civilian first of all but also it's the way you deliver it's the way you deliver the content it's the way you deliver whatever it is you're teaching not everybody picks it up um and so that was kind of like on the instructor side coming from teaching green berets to going to civilians not that i'm saying civilians are like way down here and green berets are way up here but it's really just communication it comes down to communication how do you take this high level of of curriculum and execution and translate it down to a civilian who just picked up a gun last week for the first time. And this is his first court. Yeah. Uh, so that was kind of like, yeah, those, that was probably the hard lesson learned, but you know, the good thing is, is that I've had a lot of experience at this now and I've used all this time and experience teaching civilians, but also again, it really comes down to understanding who your audience is and understanding how to communicate to that specific audience, because talking to civilians is different from talking to law enforcement than, than talking to SWAT, than talking to Green Berets or any military guys, right? It's all these different, like they all think differently. They all hear and listen differently. And so that was probably the hard, uh, hardest lesson learned there as an instructor as well. Yeah, savage, man. Good stuff, man. I 
I, uh, I 100%. This weekend, I'm going out with one of my crews. We're going to do our shooting quals. We always do local law enforcement quals, FBI quals, CC, all the quals, um, you know, to make sure we're locked in with our qualified witness in case something happens. Um, and, you know, we've had, you know, you've been on teams with leaders that don't go and shoot. And it really just goes back to, hey, I don't care about your position. I don't yeah. care about your background. I respect you for what you've done. What I need to know is what you're capable of when me and you cross that line of departure for this mission. That's it. Can okay? you operate? Yeah, really, right? <laughs> yeah. Can you operate? Okay, I got one man. question. Can you operate? Terminal list plug. Yeah, yeah, yeah man, because that's really that's the question, man. And then, yeah. I, and honestly, we run in docs for some of the details. And I and I'm I'm always blown away when you know we get a dude and he's like, yo, I'm prior military, this, that, and the next thing. I'm prior law enforcement, this, that, and the next thing. And then I'm like, okay, cool, man. We're just gonna shoot some law enforcement quals and we're gonna shoot some, you know, federal stuff and whatever. I'm, you know, just pass the quals, man. And they're like, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And then I get I get a civilian who's like kind of shy and a little uncomfortable because he doesn't have the background. He, I'm like, yo, you know, I'm looking at his at his at his resume and stuff, and he's like, you know, I, I'm not military, I'm not law enforcement. You know, I, I I've been practicing a little bit. I've gone to some courses, and then we get out there, and you know who smoke checks all the other dudes, man? The civilian, <laughs> yeah, man. Dude, yeah. They're like, y'all kill him. You know, y'all yeah. ain't going to Paolo with it, you know, because yeah. the civilian's not resting on his laurels. And he's actually at his house dry firing and actually spending money going to courses. And he knows what he can do right now is all he's got. He can't say, I used to be a SEAL or I used to be a whatever. Yeah, man. That's the, the, that's the one thing that I didn't like about the military. That's yeah. the one thing that I didn't like about the military. And since I've worked with other units and agencies now, I see it there too. It's like this very restrictive mindset that because you are training at a certain level, you don't need to do anything outside of that. Right. right. It's almost like, well, you know, it's like like I clock in, I clock out, and that's it. And I'm gonna go home and like not do anything else. But it's not like in a, it's not like a physical thing. It's a mindset thing. It's like, bro, just because you're a cop, that doesn't mean you can't go to the range on your days off. <laughs> you know, just because you're a SWAT guy, just because you're a military guy, that doesn't mean you can't go to the range or go do some training on your time off or maybe with some of the guys. And that is so detrimental, man. It, it's detrimental where civilians they they that's where they have kind of the upper hand because they're not closed into this this space this headspace right you know they're just like oh i want to do that and i want to do that it's like you know the protective <laughs> symposium it's like yep. now they can come to the protective symposium and literally do all of these cool things right. you know because they're not stuck in this headspace that well i did my work and i'm i'm just gonna go home yeah, i'm um, already so, yeah, so that's what I like about the whole civilian space is those guys, man, they just want to do everything and then they find what they're good at and they want to stick to it. And then they branch out. Mm -hmm. you know? Yeah, man, no, that's good stuff, bro. Yeah. What would you say? Um, and so, yeah, for all the, us prior military, some dudes are still dangerous, but it's got to be more than just a job. It's got to be a lifestyle. So, Absolutely, 100%. Yo, what would you say was your proudest moment in this game as a protector? Uh, proudest moment? Um my proudest moment is like when I, when I get feedback from, from people, like whether that's six months down the road, a year, two years, people hit me up every once in a while. He's like, Hey man, that class that I went to, or that chat that we had, you know, or these courses, like, you know, sometimes I put on like long-term programs, like three to three to three to six months, or even a one-year program. I put that on every once in a while. 
And people come like, back and hit me up after a couple months or a couple years, and they're like, bro, that training that I got with you has completely changed my life. It has changed wow. my outlook on the way I live my life, my lifestyle, my pattern of life. Everything has changed. Now I, you know, wherever they're at in their life, that feedback that I get, it's it just makes me feel good, man. Like it's like, okay, cool. Like I was able to do this for at least one person. Even if people come to my class and they're like, man, that was a cool pistol class, but it doesn't influence their life. I'm I'm okay with that. But like when I know that I've kind of really reached somebody and I I've kind of transitioned them or I've sucked them into that that lifestyle or that dark side, whatever you want to call it. Yeah, that man. makes me proud because now I'm like, all right, man, that's one more dude out there that is capable, right? He is a capable citizen or what I like to call an active citizen, right? It's the other side of active shooters. So we are active shooters and we got active citizens and I want to see more active citizens. And when I, so that's what makes me proud is when I, you know, when I can reach people in that way and they come back to me and they tell me, yeah. That's huge, man. This active citizen thing. That's awesome, yeah. man. Our mission is to make the world a safer place by helping good people to become more dangerous. You know, I want to see, yeah. I want to see more of what we saw the other day in that mall. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Dude goes active, boom, civilian population wipes him out and first responders come up and clean up the mess, you know, sure. and that that's, and that's how it should be. That's how it is in some of in some other Israel, man. It's like terrorist attack gets one person, everyone extinguishes them. You know, and then it's just it's nothing. You know, that's it's, kind of it's what like I want. that. Yeah, man, it's like that in a lot of countries. We just they just don't get the whole they don't get the media hype that we do. You know, story. a lot of countries. There's a lot of countries in this world that you guys never hear about where the civilians fucking stop, <laughs> stop the bad guys dead in their tracks every day. You just won't hear about it. Yep. And because uh, civilians are the white protectors are the white blood cells of the body of humanity, man. I love it. Um, let's see here. And that's what we're doing with this event, y'all. So come join us. What would you say is your favorite, favorite quote, favorite mantra, favorite saying? My favorite quote. Yeah, my favorite quote comes from William Lamb. Uh, he was uh, a general in the French Revolution back in 1817. He said that the, the possession, the possession of great power necessarily implies great responsibility right and so you guys are like wait a minute spider-man's uncle said that like no bro that's <laughs> william lamb said that back like, 200 years ago 250 years ago the possession of great power necessarily implies great, great responsibility that's that's one of my favorite quotes and that's hard man i love that i love that i always say you know victor frankel my favorite psychotherapist Good book for you guys, Man Search for Meaning. Uh, he talks about how there should be a statue of liberty, a statue of responsibility on the West Coast to balance out the Statue of Liberty because freedom without responsibility equals death. Okay. Yes. Yeah, man, I love that. Power without purpose is a problem, man. And that's, I think, yeah. a little, little rabbit hole, but I think that might be some of what's going on with the, the young men in this country, man, you know, is, is, is figuring out their masculinity and a few different things because a lot of these active shooters. They're all males, you know, so there's yeah. something going on. They're all there. young males. Yeah. Young men, man, looking to make a mark like we all were when we joined the Marine Corps and stuff, you yeah. know. So um, there's something to be said for that, man. That's a powerful quote. I love that. How would you like to be remembered when it's all said and done? 
You know, <laughs> yeah, I know these are deep, deep questions. Hold <laughs> on, bro. Me. Let me burn some incest really quick. <laughs> right, right. You know, yeah. you know, psychology uh, coming out, but you know. How do I want to be remembered, man? Honestly, look, uh, you know, in the big scheme of things, uh, nothing else matters, man. I don't want to be remembered as a Marine. I don't want to be remembered as a Green Beret. I don't care. I can care less about those things when I'm old and gray on my deathbed. All that I want to be remembered by when I'm in that position is that, you know, I, I did right by those that I care about. I did right by my children, my grandchildren, my family you know, everyone that I helped, you know, bring into this world. And as long as they remember me in a positive way, like, you know what, like, I remember my grandfather in such a strong, positive way, man, like his memory will never die with me. And that's if I can just have a little bit of that when I go when it's my time, then I'm happy with that. Awesome, man. Legacy, you know, legend. I want to be, you want to be the voice in a young person's head in your family that's like, yo, what would Grandpa Kawa do? Like, you know what I mean, like, I better do this <laughs> yeah. right, right now because, you know, he's looking at me right now, you know? Yeah. I love that. That's good. That's the stuff that matters, man. Yeah. And then, um, yeah, man, 100%, our impact. Uh, what are you up to these days outside of the symposium? You know, working. Oh, well, uh, so a little bit of bad news. Um, so oh, Friday. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So I'll, I'll I'll say this. Seventeen years ago, I uh, seventeen years ago I ruptured my Achilles tendon in my left ankle, and that was a tough one because uh, obviously I was in the military, I was in the Marine Corps, and I was in my window to get out and everything. That happened, and then I had to go through this crazy surgery to get it fixed. And then even then, they're like, you know, you're probably never gonna run again. And I was like, man, that sucks. Like, what am I going to do? I'm just like this young Marine. I can't even go back into the infantry if I can't run. So I was like depressed. And, and then I went through rehab, eight months of rehab. And towards the end of rehab, I was like, no, nah, dude, uh, I'm good. And so I went and tried out for special forces and I became a Green Beret. So obviously they were wrong about that. Very that wrong, so that happened 17 years ago when they tried to tell me I couldn't run again. So what happened Friday 17 years later is I was at the gym pushing a sled on the turf like I do every week. And this is not a, a weightlifting thing. This is just a cardio thing for me. It's just to get my heart pumping, get my legs moving a little bit. And uh, on my way back down from pushing that sled, I heard this familiar pop and I heard and I felt this familiar sensation of like burning in my ankle. Immediately knew what happened. I ruptured. So on Friday, I ruptured my other Achilles in my other foot. And uh, I went immediately to the hospital. And then, I mean, they were quick, man. They were like, you got surgery on Monday. So like Monday, this Monday that just passed, I had surgery. It was, a, uh, it was a success. It went quick. Everything was cool. And now 17 years later, cause you know, everything's advanced technology and all that. Instead of eight months of rehab, I got 12 weeks or three months of rehab. And then I'll be back at them at 90% kind of easing into it till I get back to a hundred. So that is what I'll be doing for the next 12 weeks uh, is pretty much that. I may even show up to the symposium with a boot on just to be safe. But yeah, don't worry, man. guys. Like, yeah, we're not slowing down. We'll be good by then. Um, but, yeah, man, that's me. That's me now. So Outstanding. Well, I'm sorry to hear that, man. I know when you heard that pop, you were like, again? Like, is yeah, this really happening it. again? I couldn't man. believe it, man. I was like, oh, man. how can this happen again? Oh, that's crazy, man. Awesome. Yeah. Well, I mean, you're the man. You've proven him wrong already once. You're going to do it again. It's just a matter of time. Yeah. Um, yeah. Man, this, 
I'm going to roll one more preview real quick as we roll out here, but real quick so everyone can see what we got coming uh, We've with this Protector Symposium. It's an honor to have you on this card, man. This is a Thank stack. you. Thank you for inviting me, man. Thank you for the consideration. I'm excited. I'm super yeah. excited. No, nah, this is going to be good. This is one of the most yeah. stacked cards I've ever come up with. I don't even know, honestly, man, y'all, I don't even know. How I'm, I, I'm going to have to beat myself next year with this, with this lineup. <laughs> Um, so you always come back. <laughs> yeah, man, I'm about to bring a couple of dudes back, man. But yeah. it's uh, I'm looking forward to this event. Your answers tonight have been extremely thoughtful, extremely well thought out. There's a lot of wisdom in this conversation, you guys. Uh, if you tuned in late, go back and listen to the beginning because <clears throat> content like this is hard to find. Real content from real dudes who have really been there, been there, done that, and are contributing positively to the space. Um, so it's an honor and a privilege, man, to be a protector to do these things with you, brother. Yeah, so thank I you, man. Thank you. I appreciate that. One hundred percent. So you guys go to protectorsymposium.com, get your tickets while we still have space. And as we roll out, y'all, I'm gonna play this last little video for you guys. And get uh, hyped. Get hyped. Get up. You know, I like my music on these things. Boom. Ladies and gentlemen, the Protector Symposium 5.0 is finally here. The Protector Symposium is a quite legendary live event that goes on in the protection industry where I bring in about five of the world's top protection trainers in various disciplines. The infamous Craig Sawman Sawyer is going to be in the house and he's going to be laying down some wisdom about what it takes to be a modern protector uh he's got an amazing background navy seal seal team six sniper he's got expertise in shooting surveillance detection anti-terror task force operations next up we've got raul martinez who's going to teach you the art of being able to implement regain control of your firearm in the clinch do you know how to actually pull that weapon and implement it in close range can you get it back if something happens to it? Next up, we've got Ed Calderon, the infamous, who's gonna teach weaponology, which is one of my favorite courses because I believe this course is maybe more dangerous than 90% of the courses that I have taken over my professional career. You're gonna learn the ology behind weapons. Next up, we've got Kawa 2 Alpha 2 Quit, who is a Green Beret who's been teaching elite fighting forces the art of close quarters movement, close quarters battle, how to fight with a gun inside of a building. Last but definitely not least, we've got the infamous instructor Zero coming to us from over the pond. It's an honor to bring him in. I've been wanting to train with him for a long time. He's gonna be teaching us how to fight around vehicles. Where do 80% of force encounters take place? They take place in transitional spaces, on your way from your office to your car, on your way from your car to your house, at the gas station. Watch my tactical protection reviews and you will see that 80% of those vehicles are outside around vehicles. Boom, so we're back. All right, brother, man, this has been Sick. an amazing, amazing time. All I gotta say is thank you so much for your time and attention, brother, and for joining forces with us on this thing, man. Looking yes, sir. It. Thank you for having me. Thank you for everyone who attended and asking questions. Uh, hope I see you guys there. I see some 
some familiar names here as well. So thank you to my people for joining us. Yeah, I can't wait, man. I'm excited. I know this is going to be so awesome. I can't wait to see all you guys again uh, and meet some of these guys. Actually, I have, I've never met Instructor Zero, so it'd be cool to meet him and chat with him and, and all that. But yeah, man, I'm hyped, dude. I can't wait. I can't wait. Boot or not, I'm showing up. So. <laughs> <laughs> Yo, that's what's up. We're going to tear it up, man. This is good. All right, brother. Well, it's an honor. You guys go to protectorsymposium.com, get those last few tickets, and I look forward to training with all of you as we make the world a safer place by helping good people to become more dangerous. Boom. Yes, sir. Out. Cheers, guys. This is my MCK. There are many like it, but this one is mine. If you've got a firearm sitting around, a pistol that you are not doing anything with, get an MCK. They make them for every single model. If you want a micro conversion kit that will turn your handgun into a force multiplier, get one, man. They are ultra affordable. CAA MCK micro conversion kits are the changing the game, y'all. So if you don't have one, you need to get one. Get one, your women, children, people that are less physically potent will be able to fire your firearm to farther distances with more accuracy. You will be able to fire your firearm to farther distances with more accuracy. I wanna get one of these into the hands of 100,000 more protectors this year because ultimately we are only as good as the things, the nation is only as good as its protection. Your home is only as safe and as good as your ability to protect it. MCK, go get one, drop your handgun in, take it to the next level, out, boom. Boom, yo, what up? I hope you guys really enjoyed that episode. Hey, listen, in order to get more out of the brand, I wanna encourage you to go join us on our social media platforms and join us at protectornation.com. We post different types of content on our different platforms at different times. Uh, you'll get blog posts, you'll get videos, you'll get real world combat engagements and things like that. So stay plugged in in order to get the most out of the brand. In order to support us, also go to protectornation.com and buy something or join forces with me on Patreon. You'll scroll down the homepage and you'll see the link. Uh, anything you can give counts, you know, think about whatever you would lose in your cushions or like spend on McDonald's this month, five bucks a month, whatever it is. Uh, that helps. That helps us make the world a better place by making good people dangerous. Anyways, this is Byron Rogers, protector by nature and by trade. And I'll see you on the next piece of content, whether it's a video or podcast out.